You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to a brand new edition of the podcast. Jen Mueller and John Boyle with you as we get you ready for a Seahawks home game against the New York Jets, the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. We say that with a little less excitement, I think, this week, John, given what we saw last week against the Giants. How are you feeling after that game and about where this team is during a point in the year where we would expect them to be finishing strong? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing. You you cost yourself a game that you could have and probably should have won by you know making some mistakes and not playing very well on offense. And look, we'll see what that means at the end of the year. If the Seahawks can run the table, they can still win the NFC West, but you could be kicking yourself depending on seeding and things like that. So you hate to let one get away, but as Pete Carroll said, now it's all about putting that one behind you and moving on to a strong finish over this last four-game stretch. Reaction after that game on Sunday was so strong. And I do think that a lot of it was disappointment. It was frustration. It was, to your point, that missed opportunity. But with the benefit of hindsight, what do you take away from that? Whether it be how the offense functioned, the defense that looks like it's turned the corner or maybe just refocusing for the last few games of the regular season. Yeah. I mean, to me, the biggest takeaway is just the offense needs to, to get going again. And they, they don't necessarily need to be scoring 35 points a game because the defense is getting better. And as Pete Carroll has pointed out, defenses appear to be catching up a little bit from the start of the season league wide, just where scoring was so high. Um, and teams are playing the Seahawks different and they need to adjust to that and figure out ways to, again, they don't need to be necessarily winning shootouts every week, but they, they got to do better than they did last week. And I guess if I was going to take a kind of silver lining for people out of this in a way, even though that loss wasn't very good, I, in a way, I feel better about this team as is, you know, a, a potential deep run in the playoffs type team as it's structured now than early in the year, because look, I have a lot of faith in Russell Wilson, this offense getting back on track and being really dangerous. If you told me at the beginning of the year, the defense was going to play like that all year and you had to win every game 35 to 30. I don't think that's sustainable for playoff run. If you're telling me this defense is going to play like it is and all you need is the offense to get going again. I like that formula a lot better come playoff time. So there's two things in that, that you said, yes, I think the defense is playing said this show. Look, I know that the numbers get screwed, and when you see that they have 6.1 yards per rush against the Giants, it looks like a big number, and it is, but you can account a lot of those to two big plays that happen back-to-back. So to me, I know what happened on those plays, right? Like, you know where the accountability comes in on the team. I'm not really worried about it. It's not like the Giants actually did run all over the team. But... Like, is there enough there or are people just going to look at this and go, yeah, you still gave up way too many yards to a team that you should have closed out in the first half? Yeah, I mean, that that was disappointing for sure, especially when you I mean, they couldn't throw the ball with much success. They had their backup quarterback in. You knew that their best chance of success was going to be that running game. So 
to get gashed like that for a couple series, it, to your point, it was only a few plays that really skewed those numbers. But in this case, that was enough for the Giants to win the game. So it was a problem. Um, it's not one. You know, I think over the years we've seen this team when they have bad games or run defense, that's a pretty easy thing for them to fix. And I think they will. So overall, minus those two drives, I feel really good about what we've seen out of the defense as it's you know going back to what the second half of that Rams game. It's been a few weeks now of getting better. So look, that that was a big factor in them losing. So you can't just totally dismiss it. But it was a little different than if they had just gotten beat up all game long. Well, and if you look at the numbers in the last four weeks, that defense is a less than 20 points a game. So you, you got to kind of put things into perspective as to when they started to turn the corner and when they're healthy and, and when they started playing like a more cohesive unit. Now, on the other side of this, John, when you talk about needing the offense to get back on track, here's the number that stands out to me, even more than the turnovers, which it's hard to say that it's uncharacteristic if you're just looking at this season, because the Seahawks have turned the ball over way too many times, their turnover differential is only plus one. They have not had a season where they finished with less than plus seven in the Russell Wilson era, right? So they are off the mark when it comes to turnovers, but they're also off the mark when it comes to explosive plays. What happened to that? I know that defenses are adjusting, but for all that we saw Russell Wilson doing, for, for all of the options that everybody talked about in the first few weeks of the season, what has happened to those explosive plays? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I do think a big part of it is what defenses are doing, and now the counter to that is going to be how did the Seahawks adjust, and even if you're not getting as many of the huge explosive plays, is getting some of those plays underneath that you can turn into explosives if guys can make guys miss, catch and run, all that stuff. Um, and I think also, you know, Chris Carson's back, but he hasn't quite been all the way back yet. And when you get him really going and get that run game being that much more of a threat, I think that can open some of that up as well, too. Because if you are a pretty one-dimensional team, no matter how good your passing game is, teams are going to start trying to take that away more. If all of a sudden Chris Carson's back to, to looking like the player he was last year, year before when he's getting a thousand yards a season, then I think you're going to get some of those more favorable matchups in the secondary. Do you like how I put you on the hot seat? I like how you essentially evaded my question. <laughs> yeah, I try, you know, tap dance around it. I, I thought I answered it. Okay. What do you, I mean, I'm not the offensive coordinator. I'm not in those meetings. I can't tell you everything they're seeing, but they need well, to get better. You're right. I mean, well, it does. And, and so here's the thing. I'm looking at the numbers right here, just to put everything into context. There were 22 passing plays of 25 or more yards in the first half of the season, just five in the last four games. And they are coming off of back-to-back games where they have had season lows of 4.8 and 4.7 yards per play. So I guess we talk about the balance and needing Chris Carson in there. And suddenly I'm hearing all the people who wanted to let Russ cook at the beginning of the season, they've kind of flipped things around a little bit. And now there's a lot of consternation. And to me, I guess I'm just looking for somebody, John, to agree with me that it's frustrating that people want to flip flop at this point in the season. And I'm not talking about the offensive coordinator. I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the outside voices, right? Like, oh, now you've come around to the fact that maybe you do need to have all facets of your game working. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And that, this is what 
Pete Carroll talks about, we've brought this up before, but when he talks about balance, it's really important to understand what that means. And it's not, hey, we need to run the ball 25, 30 times and throw the ball 35 times. There's no number in mind going into the game of we need X number of runs, next number of passes. It's you want to have both at your disposal and both be credible threats a defense has to deal with to make you harder to defend and to make you able to adjust to what a team's doing or if the conditions are bad or anything else. And that's where I think if we start to see them get back to Chris Carson running like, I mean, he ran really well last week. They just, he wasn't quite ready to take on the full load. And when he is, and teams really have to concern themselves with that, I do think there's going to be more opportunities in the passing game. I will say though, this team has shown in, in times they can throw the ball successfully and move the ball. Even if teams are taking those chunk plays away, that Arizona game, a few weeks ago, they won. There weren't a lot of explosives in that passing game, but Russell Wilson was really efficient. They did a good job working some of the quick underneath stuff. So maybe that's the adjustment we'll see going forward. I don't know, but they got to get something going because you can't keep scoring 12 points a game. Speaking of going forward and looking ahead, it is an opportunity to get back on track this week against the Jets. And of course, Pete Carroll wouldn't approach it any differently than any other game during the season. This is the next game and all of the, you know, the storylines that you could pick out of it don't have anything to do with how we want to prepare and how we want to focus. And so uh, there's a real discipline that it takes week in and week out in conference, out of conference, in division, out, you know, all that stuff that happens, um, records and all of that. So we're, you know, this is a good illustration for us as it is every week to come right back to focus and do things in, in the routines that, that we need to do to, to play good football. Well, and so when you think about this, I, I do think Sunday's game is so much more about what the Seahawks can do, should do, uh, will end up doing, as opposed to looking at the Jets, who are 0-12. They are right now eyeing, I mean, it's not even an opportunity. They're looking at a, a winless season, potentially, and they would join the 2008 Lions and the 2017 Browns as the only teams to do that there is so much that is not going right for the Jets right now. John, how does that change the way we look at this matchup and even talk about the matchups? I mean, in Pete Carroll's ideal world, it doesn't. And that's a big what he talks about with, you know, every week being championship week. You don't want your team overhyped when they're playing a game for the division championship in week 17. And you don't want your team overlooking an opponent and thinking, oh, we got a week against a pretty good Raiders team. Even a you know a winless, pretty bad team in the NFL is good enough on any given Sunday to to sneak one out. So, uh, you know, look, obviously the Seahawks are the better team. They are better pretty much across the board and should take care of business. And maybe this is a good game for the offense to kind of get right, so to speak. But back to Pete Carroll's point, you can't just go into this one thinking, oh, we got this. The Jets are 0 and 12 and this should be easy because the second you start doing that, it gets dicey in a hurry. Well, and they were almost winners against the Raiders, as you pointed out, had it not been for a very curious and really odd blitz called yeah. by Greg Williams, they would be talking about just a, a different vibe in New York altogether. Yeah, I mean, who knows how they would come into this game. It, it's, it'll be interesting to see how they come out on Sunday because they would have loved to get that win. I, I don't care how bad this season's going and if it feels like a lost season, nobody wants to join that list you read of 0-16 teams. So 
those players are playing with still a lot of pride and want to get that first win. And had they pulled that out, you might have a team coming in with a little more confidence and, but they might also just be coming in really angry and that might be feeling them. So again, I, you can't sleep on anybody, but yeah, that was, that was a pretty brutal way they lost. Well, and Greg Williams was relieved of his duties the next day. Frank Bush takes over as the defensive coordinator. Of course, Greg Williams made headlines earlier in the season when he talked about Jamal Adams. Jamal, of course, the Seahawks' big offseason acquisition. According to the headlines in New York, Jets don't miss Jamal, which I find hard to believe, especially when Carroll knows what he's brought to the Seahawks' defense. We were so excited about the chance to get a player of this magnitude, um, and, and and you know we we had done our homework about about Jamal, just trying to learn who he was as best we can. As you said, you know you don't know him till you get the guy here, really. But after all of that being said, that he's been a, a, just a, a great team guy, and uh, he's worked so hard. He cares so much about our team and about his his relationships and, his, and the players that he plays with. That he's been he's been perfect in in, in all ways, and so. Uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing I don't like about guys that have a high energy and high intensity and, and, and are jacked up uh, and take great pride in their work. And, you know, he does all that. So he's been a great addition for us. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it since training camp. Look, we all knew what Jamal Adams was in terms of you can watch the film, you can look at the accolades and numbers. He's a great player. But in training camp, it became evident that he brings a different energy, a just something special to the defense and the team. And that's what Pete Carroll's talking about, that they love so much. You just never know exactly what you're getting. You can do all your research. Your scouts know the guy. You probably looked at him in the draft, all that stuff. But until he's around you every day, you just don't know exactly what you're getting. And they've loved what he's brought. And it, he's just such a fun, exciting player. You see it, it's contagious on the team. So, yeah, I mean, it's – I get – look, the Jets are going to say what they need to say because you you want to look like you're you're happy with what you have. And – what you got for that trade, but the Seahawks sure love what they got. Well, I just think it's laughable that that beat writers or that folks in New York want to characterize him as having a down year when he has seven and a half sacks that leads the Seahawks that also leads all DBs right in eight games. But here's the thing they really are picking on him for. It's the no interceptions, right? So he's having a down year in that regard. He has two interceptions in his entire career, right? It's not like he's doing something so different than what he's done before. I just think that it's laughable. I get how an organization wants to make it look like they came out ahead, but then when you have kind of people on the periphery, it's like, come on, folks, really? Yeah, That's just well, me. The New York media is a different animal. We know that. That is true. That is very, very true. Well, we know that Jamal Adams is going to be a huge part of that game plan. That's going to be one of the biggest storylines. And truly, the Seahawks do need to be better at takeaways because, John, it is interesting. For as much as that pass rush has come on in the last few weeks, the thing the Seahawks have been missing are interceptions. We've got Quandre Diggs who leads the team, but but there is an opportunity to get better in that category. Oh, for sure. And it's really weird. I mean, you, you look at early in the season when this team was not rushing the passer very well, was giving up big numbers. They were actually still getting a decent amount of turnovers and they're turning the ball over or getting fewer turnovers with a good pass rush, which is just strange because usually pass rush is one of the best indicators of turnovers because you force quarterbacks into bad decisions. Look, I think if they keep playing defense the way they are, the terms are going to come. We've seen some some near picks. We've seen you know enough hits on the quarterback. The ball might start coming out. So, yeah, I'd love to see him get the ball more often. But 
I still feel a lot better about this defense, even with the fewer turnovers and everything else they're doing of late. Yeah, 24 sacks in the last six games, 14 sacks in the last four. Those are numbers that you've got to like. Here's another storyline that probably gets overlooked on Sunday, but is certainly significant to Pete Carroll himself because it was the Jets years ago who gave him his first opportunity to be an NFL head coach. I've learned a lot, and, I, and, and uh, I'm a lot different than I was then because of what I've learned. You know, it was a, kind of a surprise experience. Got, you know, put in, in position to take that thing over and, and, uh, and then just didn't get much time to work, you know, and to, to, to really put it into shape. But, you know, I, I did learn a lot. I, you know, I learned a lot about dealing with the people that, that are in ownership and, and people that run the clubs and opinions and stuff like that. You know, that you got to work with, work with your people. I was kind of a little bit of a maverick in, at the time, I think, the way I went about it. You know, I really wasn't worried about making friends and, and, and with the owners and stuff like that. I mean, I just was coaching, and, and uh, I, I needed to work at it more, be a little bit more politically correct. I was kind of politically not correct at the time, and, and um, it, was, it was fun. It was a nice try. It just ended too fast. It was a nice try. I love that. I, I love when Pete goes down memory lane with the – I mean, it, that's one of the cool things about having a coach who's been a lot of places and has a good history is seemingly every week there can be a, a fun connection. But especially with these you know, his former coaching gigs, it's fun to hear – just how much has changed for him. I mean, he was a pretty young coach back then and inexperienced. And to his point, he, you know, he didn't necessarily know all the intricacies of what it means to be a head coach when it comes to dealing with ownership and all that. So um, obviously it didn't work out too well for him there, but he's, he bounced back pretty well and has had himself a hell of a career. You know, I do remember a story that he told last year about how he didn't recognize who was in the room. And he started talking about how the team was going to do one thing, but Ownership and management had already said they were going to do another thing. And Pete's kind of takeaway was, well, you, you better know your audience. I needed to know yeah. my audience better. And I thought, yeah, that's that's Pete. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, when we talk about coaching, of course, Pete Carroll has had a huge impact on the league, on this team, on the city. But we deserve or we should, excuse me, give Larry Izzo the shout out that he deserves for, for special teams. Because I don't think they're flying under the radar anymore. They are definitely among the best units in the NFL. You know, first off, uh, Larry has done a, a marvelous job. I mean, just just a first-class job and jumped right at it. He had been a team's coach before, you know, in Houston and all that. It wasn't brand new to him. But still, there's a transition there. Shoot, man, he, he, he's done a fantastic job. Um, Brian's back with us now, and he's working with, with his, and, and uh, he's helping him, you know, uh, along the way, which has been really beneficial, and we're glad to have him back. Um, but I can't say enough about what, what Larry has done to, you know, maintain uh, a level of play and then even go beyond it and give us this kind of week-to-week uh, -week consistency that's really separated our guys. And just a reminder that Cairo Radio is your home for the Seattle Seahawks and your source for local news. Listen to every Seahawks game live on 97.3 FM and catch up on the news every weekday on the Cairo Radio app. You're probably not going to hear Larry Izzo's name or Brian uh, Schneider's name in those broadcasts very often, but uh, I do think it's cool that that unit is doing so well. I think it's cool that Larry Izzo's getting that chance or got that chance because he is a stud among all-time special teams players 
those guys look up to him because all they have to do is look at the tackles that he made during the course of his career and, and the career that he has, he knows what he's talking about. Or listen, ask Bill Belichick about Larry Izzo. He was one of his favorite players. And when you get, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time raving about you as a special teamer, that's a lot of deserved respect he has. And yeah, he, for him, I mean, he's been here obviously, and he's been a coach and he knows what's going on, but to, to find out right before the start of the season, you're, stepping into that role is taking over the whole the whole job with Brian Schneider having to step away for a little bit he's I mean that unit has just been awesome all year you know we talk about the offense struggling a little bit now and being great early the defense picking it up but the one consistently good part of this team all year has been special teams and it, it sometimes can fly under the radar because it's not as you know big a part of the game in the minds of most fans but it's really important and they've been really good at it They certainly have. And, you know, I think we've been pretty good, John, at identifying what needs to happen for Seahawks wins throughout the course of the year. I'm not sure that it's always happened, but I do think we correctly identify what needs to happen. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat one more time. Give me the two things that need to happen for a Seahawks win on Sunday. Well, last week I talked about Seahawks not turning the ball over and they didn't listen. So Sorry, I tried. Uh, but I'll take the other side of that. I want to see the as we just talked about, let's get the defense going. Let's get two or more takeaways and really just do what they should do and take control of this game and not stress fans out too much. Uh, going to the other side of the ball, we talked about Chris Carson. I want to see him get going and, you know, assuming his health is improving, as Pete Carroll said, let, let's see him get 15 to 20 overall touches and, and see what that can do for the offense. Okay, so you kind of took mine. I'm going to add on to that. I'm going to say I want to see four explosive plays during the course of the game. I don't care if it's a Chris Carson, you know, breaking out for a 40 or 50 yard run or if it's uh, a couple of deep passes to DK or to Tyler. But I would like to see four explosive plays during the course of this one. I was going to hit on the takeaways, but since you already got to that one, I how about keep. Sam Darnold out of the end zone works for me. Hold the jets to field goals. If they need to score any points at all. And uh, I think that that'll lead to a Seahawks win. Sounds good to me. And we will be back with you next week to revisit what happened in the game. See if the Seahawks listen to us and see where things fall following their game Sunday against the jets. We'll see you next time.